0: Miss the show, no problem. On point and on the podcast, former General Jonathan Vance, now charged with obstruction of justice, the allegations that he tried to get a complainant to make false statements about a relationship in his past. We'll talk to a former Olympian who can explain what might be going through the minds of our athletes as Japan deals with this vicious fifth wave, and we're just days away from the games where there will be absolutely no crowds allowed. And Iran orchestrates a wild but failed kidnapping attempt of several Canadians and other Western allies trying to stop critics from speaking out. We were warned about this. How could this happen? We'll talk about that.
1: myself I'm a man of and taste.
0: I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a soul
1: the former chief of the defense staff Jonathan
0: Vance has been charged today with a count of obstruction of justice I wonder what
1: your reaction is to that uh, as uh, obviously this is a matter before the courts I'm not going to be reacting right now
0: and that is that. That is the uh, Prime Minister keeping it short and sweet when asked uh, for his thoughts on these obstruction charges that have been leveled against former General Jonathan Vance. And this, of course, is in connection to the sexual misconduct allegations uh, Global News revealed back in February. And then according to court documents that had obtained uh, again by Global, uh, the allegation is that Vance had repeatedly contacted the former major Kelly Brennan by phone attempting to persuade her to make false statements about their past relationship. So these are pretty serious charges. They are in a civilian court. Um, let us bring in Mercedes Stevenson, who is our Ottawa bureau chief, also host of the West Block and also Mercedes, I should point out, you actually should be on a plane right now going on vacation and you had to cancel your yeah. flight because you broke this story.
2: Yeah, I got um a contact from a source early this afternoon telling me that um more C D S uh, Chief of Defence Staff General Jonathan Vance uh, either had just been charged or was about to be charged with one count of obstruction of justice. Um, and obviously, that was some pretty stunning news. Um, and I wanted to be around to be able to continue to cover this story because we think that it's a really important one for Canadians and an important one for the, the Canadian Armed Forces and the troops who serve um, you know, Canada and are willing to put their lives on the line.
0: Yeah. And not a small charge at that. I mean, uh, trying to coerce someone uh, out of doing something in a court matter or anything like that. That's a very serious matter. Um, does that mean the investigation is now complete or is this uh, just that they've laid this charge, but the investigation continues and he could face more charges?
2: Well, that's a great question. And, and we don't really know 100 percent what the answer to that is, um, What the military is saying so far is that he has been charged in this. What's interesting about the charge, though, is if you read um, what the lead investigator is alleging, uh, and that's a Sergeant Peter Charlesworth with the Canadian Forces National Investigative Service. Um, That is the sensitive division of the military police. And he alleges in court documents that were obtained by Global News um, that General Vance, called Kelly Brennan repeatedly and told her to lie about the nature of their past relationship, the fact that he's saying she was asked to lie about it is implying that, it's, that it wasn't a friendship, that this officer does not believe that was a friendship because it was just friendship and you were saying, um, you know, just say that we, we were not in a relationship as Kelly Brennan alleges. He said that he told her not to talk about the sex. Uh, if the police did not believe any of that had happened, then that wouldn't necessarily be obstruction. So I think that that's a really interesting sort of when you're reading what they're alleging. Uh, this is also the most serious charge, really, that the military police could Late because other mm. charges would have been basically um, having an inappropriate relationship with a subordinate, um, and we don't know whether or not those charges may still be coming or not, but, but those charges would have put him in front of a military court. It's very, very hard to try him in front of a military court, because he must be tried by someone who outranks him, and he was right. the Chief of the Defence Staff. Um, there's been also concerns about the independence of the military court process, and that's something that uh, former Supreme Court Justice Morse Fish uh, put out an explosive report about just a few weeks ago that we covered, mm-hmm. um, and he had recommended that charges go before the civilian uh, court system. So that's what's happening now. So Vance is not going to be tried by the military. Well, he was charged by the military police. He is going to be charged by, uh, or, or if, if this does go to trial, but certainly so far in the, the justice system, it will be in front of a regular civilian criminal court that this is proceeding and that makes it very substantial as well.
0: Oh, it sure does, because there will be, um, I mean, pretty much all the information will come out, because there will be many witnesses called, including Major Kelly Brennan. And so uh, this becomes a very sticky situation for the government. But before I jump into the government side of this, I mean, he has denied all allegations that there was even a relationship. So he has denied any relationship since you started calling and asking for comment on this. But I think you you point out something interesting. He retired from the military mid-April. But this allegation dates back to February, and so this kind of crosses over. Was he still serving uh, under the Minister of Defense when this was allegedly going on?
2: Well, really under the Prime Minister, because that's that's who appoints the Chief of the Defense Staff, but he was no longer the chief. So he was just in the military. Um, He had already left as chief of defense staff and handed over command, but he absolutely was still in the forces. He did not retire until mid-April. And there's been some folks out there on social media saying, oh, he was no longer in the military when this happened. That's not true. Um, He absolutely was in the military when the police allege that he attempted to obstruct justice. And the dates are particularly interesting because in the court documents it alleges this happened between February 1st and February 3rd of 2021, February first is the day that we reached out to General Vance and asked him if he' had had an inappropriate relationship with Kelly Brennan, at which point he denied um, any inappropriate relationship or inappropriate behavior, and um, he has not, you know spoken to us since our initial contacts with him, but our initial contact with him was on February first, and that is the first date that the investigators allege that he reached out to Kenny, Kelly Brennan and they alleged, uh, instructed her to lie about what the nature of the relationship was.
0: And so the, the political side of this thing, so the Prime Minister was asked about this and, very, and made very clear that he's going to hide behind the courts on it and he's not going to comment on it. But what are the implications then for, uh, for him, uh, for the Minister of uh, Defence? I mean, we're supposed to be heading into an election, um, which assuming you ever get a vacation, um, you know, does it ha- where, yeah. where's the political fallout on, on, on this for the Prime Minister at this point?
2: So there's a few places for political fallout. Uh, the first and more straightforward is that Vance is due in court on September 17th. That could be during an election, uh, if one is in fact called in in yeah, mid right. um, August, which is sort of the circulating wisdom in Ottawa of when it could happen. And that said, it won't be the trial. We all know um, yeah. the justice system does not move that quickly. Uh, so that mm-hmm. would just be an initial court date, but it would it would put it into the agenda and the circulation right. at the same time as the election. Um, yeah. The other issue here is that, you know, there have been allegations that um, the defense minister did not do enough when concerns were raised with him or a mm-hmm. specific allegation was raised with him about uh, sexual misconduct by the chief, separate, by the way, from the one involved in this court case. This is going to put more pressure on him. Um, the fact that there is now a criminal charge Talks about the seriousness, and that's going to raise questions about their judgment in keeping Vance on as chief of the defense staff when allegations were being raised uh, and concerns were being raised because one of those has now resulted in a criminal charge. And Kelly Brennan right. says that yeah. people at the highest levels of the military knew about this. That this was Mm -hmm. well known. Um, I've certainly spoken to sources who said that they they had heard this rumor going around and that it was a rumor. Others said that they were aware there was a relationship. And so it's going to renew pressure on the government over that. And already you have the Conservatives calling for Sajjan to resign again, saying that this is further evidence um, that they believe he was not doing his job.
0: And certainly Major uh, Kelly Brennan had also said, you know, he was untouchable. He told her that he was untouchable, that he owned the police. Um, clearly he does not. Um, and again, this is assuming that no one else comes forward and that there's no but, but, you know, as you well know, once a story like this breaks or something happens with a charge, it generally you get this drip, drip, drip effect, just like we saw with the S&C matter.
2: Yeah, and, and frankly, in this case, um, I mean, this has been my life since. Yeah, <laughs> January, um, yeah. because that's when we started working on the story. We broke it in February, but I started working on this very heavily in January. Um, and that's when, when the allegations started um, to come forward to me from more than one woman. Um, and will this encourage other people to speak out about their experiences with whoever they allege may have been involved in sexual misconduct in their particular cases? It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think I, I've been hearing from victims um, For them, it is a feeling of maybe the military police are taking this seriously. Maybe they are Mm. listening. They're not really sure what to make of the fact that it's a criminal charge and there aren't National Defense Act charges about the relationship, but the criminal charge is by far the most serious that could have been laid. I mean, the others, you're talking about potential administrative punishments, other punishments, Uh, you can be knocked down a rank. This one, if there's conviction, it's up to 10 years of jail time. Um, and yeah. it is a, a criminal record issue. So I think that uh, certainly from some of the women I've been hearing from, they're you know perhaps wondering now if, if in fact their cases are going to be taken seriously. I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean now that now they're seeing a charge, they're going, oh, right. like maybe, maybe there is going to be action this time and, and not just investigations with no follow up.
0: No question about it. It is a big story and a big development, big charge, and um, I appreciate you joining uh, joining me to uh, fill in the blanks. I know you've worked uh, really hard on this and uh, given up a lot of sacrifice, a lot of your own time. Uh, so I appreciate you uh, joining us. Thanks a lot, Mercedes. Thanks so much for having me. Mercedes Stevenson joining us here tonight with the latest on her exclusive. I mean, she's led the way on this story, um, and the latest being that former General Jonathan Vance has now been charged with obstruction of justice. So as you heard, I mean, it it is something that carries 10 years. Uh, It's not a light charge. Um, Problem for Mr. Trudeau, and he's got many, um, is that, like Mercedes said, it keeps it in the headlines, gives the opposition ammunition, and um, I'll be curious to see who his lawyer is. You better hire a good one. I'm not sure Marie Hannon will be available, but nonetheless.
3: What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. Am I getting through to you? That's the point. Do you understand? There
2: is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening.
0: All right, so in... Just eight days, the Tokyo Games will get underway, but the city is now in this aggressive new fifth wave of COVID infections that are being driven by this more infectious variant. So no question, this Olympics is not going to look like any other Olympic Games we have ever seen. And the government's declared a state of emergency, but even the scientists are saying, look, it is too late to bend the curve and the cases are just going to keep on going up. So no fans in the stand. We're not going to see any tourists and it is going to literally be the quietest Olympics, which you have to wonder when you're an athlete who has worked your whole life to get to this moment, will this affect your performance? Because a lot of times you would think they can feed off of that adrenaline, but then they also have to worry about the health risks. And um, on Wednesday, we learned that dozens of Brazilian team members caught the virus at a Japanese hotel. So not only are the Olympic athletes worrying about their health, but all these other variables of these variants. Alexander Kopach is a Canadian bobsledder and reigning Olympic co-champion in the two-man bobsleigh event. He won a medal back in the 28 Pyeong Games. Good to have you.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys.
0: Last time we chatted, you were recovering from COVID. So not only are you an Olympic athlete, but you're an Olympic athlete who has had this virus, so you know what has been through. So before we get into the conversation, how's your health today? Because you weren't feeling so great the last time we talked.
3: I'm very happy to inform everybody that I'm uh, back to full strength, actually. I've been a part of a couple of really interesting studies out of Robart's research to check on lung recovery post-COVID. So I'll have a lot more concrete evidence in a couple of weeks. Um, But uh, to date, it looks like a lot of my uh, my, my lung tissue has, has, has returned back to normal.
0: Yeah, it, it, you can hear it in just the energy level of your voice. I mean, you were a, a completely different person back then, but I'm, I'm very glad to hear that you're not, um, you know, suffering some of the long-term effects that we hear about, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that that stays the same. And so, you know, given your perspective, Alex, um, you know, of going to the Olympics, of being in that kind of glorious, euphoric, um, you know, state after doing all the work of getting to the Games – What would it be like to be one of the Olympic athletes going to this particular Games, given all of the kind of changes that are happening?
3: Well, I think, I mean, it's definitely it's it's a new it's a new stress element, right? This this course is probably the concerns of will I get sick when I go? Um, Will I get sick and give it to someone else if I go? Um, But the one thing that ends up happening and you learn very quick in in high performance sport is, unfortunately, Anything can go wrong. Day of competition, days leading up to the competition. You know, we're always dancing on the edge of will we get injured or not injured because we're always, always mm-hmm. you know, we're pushing our bodies to the limits. So I imagine that everybody's mental state once they're there in competition mode would be relatively unchanged to a normal circumstance. So in my case, um, I was definitely trying to do my best to block out um, external stimuli and having uh, oh. too many people uh, and really paying attention to the crowd because that might have gotten me a little bit too amped. Um, So I just try to just kind of just see the ice, just see the sled, just feel it in my hands and just focus just in that, in that capacity. Um, And I do, I I imagine there might be, I mean, for those that are seasoned Olympic athletes, there might be a little bit of a, a reduction in the excitement without having the fans, but... Believe mm-hmm. me when I say when you see the other racehorses beside you, it kicks, <laughs> kicks your body in the high gear anyways. <laughs> so I yeah. imagine I mean... we're still going to see quite a lot of excellent performances. Will there be uh, records broken? Potentially, potentially. Uh, might be an argument to be said without that, uh, you know, the, 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 the stimulus of the, of the crowd. Perhaps we won't see like, earth-shattering uh, records, but I guarantee you we'll see very excellent, excellent quality performances um, all around.
0: Yeah, I mean, Olympic athletes are in a complete league of their own, just in the mental training, the, what they can push through, um, you know, uh, so, so they've already got that. Um, so I think you make some interesting points. And I also think it's interesting to hear that, you know, some like yourself, you know, the crowds can really have an effect. It's almost like a racehorse, you know, some of them get spooked by those big crowds, they just want to go around the track, they don't want to hear screaming and see uh, waving arms. Um, But, you know, the other thing is these Olympic athletes, a lot of them had to train through a pandemic. So there's their um, facilities may have been shut down. They probably had to put a pause on their training. So they're also up against not necessarily having the training they might have needed to get up to this point.
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh, But that's, again, another beauty of of being uh, in a high performance sport. We have to be very creative and flexible. And in in my case, there was circumstances where um, I did a lot of my training in Germany. Let's say there's a German holiday, the training facilities were closed. I then looked at the neighboring countries. Where can I drive to within a couple hours to get my workouts in, or what can I do with limited equipment? Um, I think an excellent person to to give attention to someone like Damian Warner. uh, His training facilities were not, you know, the best quality considering the COVID scenarios. However, he had stellar performances. Stellar performances, like for example, GOTIS, unbelievable, and the fact wow. that a person can still dig that deep and still get some of the best quality training is is definitely something to be to be considered. Personally, I always uh, enjoyed a little bit of the uh, the sweaty, grungy, grimy gym where the uh, the barbell's a little bit rusted because it, yeah. you, you're not you're in a judgment-free space. If that makes any sense, mm. you're just there to put the yeah. work in, and and truly. Uh, there's a lot of basic tools, as my coach would say, a lot of basic tools that can give very, very successful results instead of all the special fancy uh, sub tools and things like this um, and if, and if you know you have the right uh, trainers on hand um, and then you have a very uh, you know open minded athlete that's willing to adapt, um, mm-hmm. I believe that a lot of these athletes will still be able to be in some of the best shapes of their lives.
0: Interesting. Um, and, and a lot of athletes aren't going. They've decided to opt out. Certainly in tennis, we've seen this happen. But there are athletes who are saying, no, I'm, I'm just not going to go. Um, you know, do you understand that mind frame?
3: I do. And could and, and also come from, you know, there's there's the fear of the virus. And of course, I mean, to everyone listening, trust me when I say that I mm. respect the danger of this virus. Um, and. It's an understandable situation. I mean, it's not that somebody didn't want the opportunity to compete. They just didn't want to compete at the risk of their own health or passing it on to family members. And that's Mm -hmm. a very challenging piece, and I can understand that.
0: Yeah, and and, and to the point on family members, I mean, that's got to be really tough for a mom or a dad, a family who have been kind of by their son or daughter's uh, you know journey this whole way, not only will they not be able to watch or cheer on and, and be there for that experience, but does that play a role in the athlete 's mind? I mean, if your mom or dad or your family couldn 't go and watch you uh, medal in Pyongyang, uh, would that have been uh, a letdown for you would it have played with your psychology.
3: Well I mean I I was very fortunate that my parents were able to come to Pyeongchang, but I definitely I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been upset if they weren't there. I mean there's there's a you know depending on the families right I mean if 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 it's mm. an economical unfeasible thing you know it's certainly understandable if a person can't go but now in the case of them not going because it's not worth their added risk because a lot of these uh, I mean I'm not really clear on how uh, Japan's decided to how they're going to kind of facilitate the visitors, whoever is visiting, if they're allowed to visit. Um, but uh, in Korea, people were living in wherever spots they could find, hotels or Airbnb mm-hmm. situations, and that adds a more uncontrolled risk, um, especially in the scope of uh, are these people going to be getting sick because they're just going to a restaurant here or there mm-hmm. or mingling with other people. So I can totally appreciate why, uh, you know, whether it's the athletes that are choosing not to go or or the, the parents that are being told by the athletes or the parents choosing to stay home instead.
0: There's a lot of debate about these games being cancelled, um, given the circumstances. Uh, do you think they should have been cancelled, or are you of the mind that the show must go on?
3: Well, I'd say this. It, if it does go on and, and succeeds, it would be a triumph of, you know, a human triumph over COVID. Now, one thing that has to be respected is uh this is the japanese people's home you know if they yeah. if they choose ultimately to protect themselves and and it doesn't go forward then then i mean as as the world we we have no choice but to respect that um, it, Is it being forced? I don't feel that. I think that a lot of people put in a tremendous amount of efforts and probably more so than any Olympics prior to to really focus on the medical uh safety protocols of this entire setup because Truly, it would be a, a disaster if because the Olympics were held, um, Japan all of a sudden suffered a, a mega wave or something like this. right? Yeah. So I think everybody's very aware of the the awful risks involved. And I think they've done, I mean, I know from the Canadian side, there's, there's so much work being put in to make sure there's vaccinations available. There's, uh, you know, uh, decontamination protocols and, and stuff like this. So if it does all come together and it goes ahead, I think it would definitely be one that would be a very bonding thing for the world to see, like, look what we were able to overcome last year.
0: Yeah. Well the Olympics is always historical, but no question about it. Twenty twenty one Olympic Summer Games is going to be like no other. So I know you'll be watching and maybe we'll touch base again, but I thank you for your perspective on this and I'm very, very pleased that you're doing so well physically and uh and back to health.
3: Thanks so much guys and stay safe out there.
0: Thank you very much. That is Alexander Kopach. He is a award winning medalist for the Pyongyang Games in Bobsledding. He brought that home to our country and uh also had COVID, so he's got the perspective to be able to uh, kind of look into the mind of an athlete and what they might be thinking as we head up into these games in just a few days.
3: What's your point? You just don't ever get to point. Am I getting through to you? That's the point. Do you understand?
2: There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. you listening.
0: Well, as the Biden administration tries to normalize relations with Iran and the Trudeau government sticks its head in the sand, we're learning that, and this is a pretty wild story, the U.S. has arrested a number of Iranian intelligence officers who were plotting to lure and kidnap three Canadians, an American and a citizen of the U.K. And uh, there had been warnings about this earlier in the year that Iran had developed this secret but aggressive program that, uh, you know, included assassinating people abroad, harassing and intimidating vocal critics of the Iranian regime. This would include well-known Iranian-American journalist Alanijad Masih, and I hope I'm saying her name right, but she's uh, one of the loudest critics, and her brother is in jail in Iran. And um, so she was expected to be one of the targets. But revealed in this plot is that Iranian intelligence followed the subjects around, gathering video and then intimidating them, draining their bank accounts. And the goal was to kidnap the victims and in one case put them in military speedboats and take them off to Venezuela, which sounds like a movie. Kaveh Sharuz is a senior fellow at McDonald Laurier Institute. He's a professed thorn in the side of the Iranian lobby. And he joins us now. Good to have you.
1: Good to be with you, Alex.
0: This is not a story that will get an awful lot of attention, but it certainly should because um, it, it just speaks to the, uh, you know, the reasons, the many of them, of why we can't and shouldn't be normalizing, uh, you know, um, relations with Iran.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, how many states out there would do what Iran is alleged, and I would say pretty credibly alleged to have been doing, which is to monitor dissidents, plan to, as you were saying at the top. Plan to kidnap them, put them on speedboats, and and you know mm-hmm. take them away so that they can be, uh you know, tortured and, and probably executed. I mean, Iran is not a normal state, and normalizing our relations with them doesn't make a ton of sense.
0: No, it doesn't. But the Biden administration has been trying, I guess, uh, to to um, renew relations and 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 get back on track with Iran, um, and, and I guess continue the Obama administration's relationship with with Iran. Um, And I don't know if that changes now, but as reports go, Biden did not want this report coming out publicly.
1: Yeah, I've heard that from several sources. Um, I can't say with 100 percent certainty that's the case, but it certainly is consistent with how the Biden administration has been acting, which is that they don't want anything to get in the way of a renewed effort to sign a deal, a nuclear deal with the Iranian regime. You really have to ask yourself, I mean, can you trust um, any nuclear deal that's signed by Iran when Iran is a kind of state that engages in this kind of behavior. I mean, this is it's this is shocking stuff, and it really um, is not common in the international community for any state to do this. So I, I would really urge the Biden administration to rethink their approach.
0: Well, I mean, you know, and, and you, you get this report, which apparently, you know, there had been warnings that this program existed. Um, and, and I suspect, though, that it would not be the only attempt and won't be the last attempt.
1: No, it's certainly not the only attempt. So I a year ago, I published an article in The Wall Street Journal saying, you know, Iran has uh, renewed its uh, general policy of intimidating activists abroad. Um, it has in the past couple of years kidnapped quite a few people, in one case a journalist that are lured back. Um, to Iraq, and then it kidnapped a journalist from Iraq, took him back to Iran, and eventually executed him. Um, And and Iran has a long history of this. Throughout the 80s and 90s, it was carrying out assassinations of dissidents abroad. So this is not Mm -hmm. new by any means. Um, And again, I I repeat this point, Iran's regime is not a normal regime. It's not one that operates according to the rules that we understand. And so dealing with them and signing agreements with them is uh, really not well advised.
0: No, and, and, you know, it, it, putting Biden aside, I mean, you look at the, the Prime Minister Trudeau himself. I mean, he has been a limp noodle when it comes to Iran. I mean, he has refused to um, designate the Iranian Revolutionary Guard even after they brought down um, this, this civilian uh, flight PS752. He, he refuses, the government refuses to, to designate it a terror entity. Uh, I don't think this will change that, but, it, you know, it, it should have been done a long time ago.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the question that I'd like to pose to Prime Minister Trudeau is, you know, what else does the state have to do for us to take a mm-hmm. tough line on them? You know, they've, they've imprisoned our citizens. They've shot a plane full of our citizens out of the sky. Uh, you know, they've, in this case, in this indictment that was just handed down a few days ago, three Canadians are obviously being targeted by the Iranian mm-hmm. regime for kidnapping. I mean, what else does the state have to do to show that it's a bad actor? But regrettably, you know, Trudeau and his and his liberal government seem quite intent on uh, normalizing relations or not rocking the boat, and uh, I don't think anything much is going to change that.
0: What did you think of Canada's statement, uh, the condemnation of this?
1: It was quite a weak statement, but, you know, statements are, are only go so far. What I'd like to see is action, and I think you highlighted the main thing, which is you know Canada's government committed that it would list the Revolutionary Guards as a terrorist entity, for, you know, two years ago, three years ago, and it's still not taken action. So all the statements in the world won't really make a difference until Canada actually decides to put some pressure on Iran.
0: Yeah. And do you get the sense, though, that this this particular incident, is it serious enough to wake the Biden administration up? I mean, because when it comes to Trump. Hate, hate him as people will, and that's fair enough. When it came to Iran, he took a tough stance, which I think was the exact stance that needed to be taken. Um, you know, but I think a lot of people were so blinded by their hate for Trump that they couldn't see that that was probably the right thing to do. So, do you get the sense that Biden will reverse course?
1: Um, I am not hopeful. So I, I totally agree with you. You know, I was one of those people that uh, intensely disagreed with Trump on a number of fronts, but I have to give mm-hmm. him credit. You know, on the Iran file. He was very good. He understood that Iran responds to pressure and he put a lot of pressure on Iran. Biden seems to be committed to reversing that entire policy and the staffing um, that he's decided on so far, Uh, you know, somebody like his special envoy on Iran. These are people that really have a history of wanting to deal with Iran, wanting to make deals with Iran at any cost. So given that staffing and giving, given, you know, their history. I'm not terribly optimistic that even an event as outrageous and brazen as uh, you know this uh, kidnapping plot is really going to change things. Unfortunately.
0: No, and it's gotten quite a reaction from uh, the Iranian community. I mean, people are, are outraged. Um, someone I, I bumped into today, um, she saw that I was going to be covering this on the show and immediately said, oh, my God, I can't believe that this is not getting more attention. So within the Iranian community here in Canada, it is being talked about. It's just for whatever reason, I don't know why the our own administration doesn't seem to take this as seriously. Um, but clearly, you know, it's not going to be the last time. I don't, I don't get the sense that Iran is going to say, oops, we've been caught. We'll be good now.
1: No, that's that's exactly right. So I have two points on that. One, absolutely, the Iranian community is very concerned about this. You know, I'm a member of that community and people are legitimately scared um, because this is not the first time that Iran has done this. It's it's killed many people abroad. And, uh, you know, people come here because they want to have a safe life. But regrettably now, even here in Canada, people have to look over their shoulders to make sure that they're not going to be gunned down or kidnapped. Um, and, and secondly, with respect to um, this, uh, you know, needing to be a bigger story, it absolutely does. I mean, you know, the 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 most important responsibility of of a government is to provide safety for its citizens. And in this case, it 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 turns out that we haven't been doing a very good job of that. There are plots underway. There are, I'm sure, sleeper agents from the Iranian regime here, and we haven't managed to disrupt them. And uh, you know, before you know it, there's going to be an incident, and uh, the government will be responsible for that.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe the next one will, in fact, be successful. So, nonetheless, uh, just a wild story, and I appreciate you giving us some context to it. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you again.
0: That is uh, Kaveh Chirou is joining us. Uh, he's a senior fellow with the McDonald laurier Institute. So, Alex Pearson, point. This is Global News Radio. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday starting 630 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson here on Point. This is Global News Radio.